0: Hello, and welcome to Breaking the Mold, a podcast from the National Precast Concrete Association. Tune in every month as we dig into a different aspect of the precast concrete industry. I'm Joe Frollo, NPCA Director of Communications and Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy the podcast and get a little something out of it. Make sure to subscribe and rate us so we can continue to grow and serve our membership. Today we're going to be talking about safety strategies and lifting devices. We're going to start by talking with Jay Sturm of Cranes 101. Later in the show, we'll hear from NPCA's Ron Naumann and George Driver, the former EHS director at Oldcastle. They're going to discuss safety in a more specific day-to-day approach. Let's get started. Hey, Jay, thanks for joining us today. Nice to see you. So, a little bit about uh, crane safety. Uh, You know, a lot of our members have QAQC people who uh, are the front line for this, who work with this every day, but for smaller companies, too and maybe someone who doesn't have a, a dedicated QC person or a dedicated safety people, how do you go about telling people to train their workers on crane safety and really get the process started?
1: You know, that's been one of the biggest challenges in our 22-year career in this business is getting the word out. I, I, I recall many years ago when we were uh, new in this business, really, and we produce a newsletter every quarter. And my, my daughter, Jennifer, was at one point doing the uh, editing on the newsletter, and we would put in articles um, highlighting different accidents as a learning tool uh, in the newsletter. And she was sitting there looking at an article that was a uh, forklift accident. It was a fatal accident. And she was reading it, and she was halfway through it. I'm looking over at her, and she had the oddest look on her face. And I says, Jen, what, you know, what's the matter? And she says, "Dad, she says I'm reading this article, and I can already tell what's going to happen, and because you know we see it happen all the time." And she goes, "How do we stop this? How how do we how do we tell people that this problem exists and it's such a simple thing to fix? It's something that we train. It's included in our training." And I says, "That that is the challenge in our business: getting the word out, doing our level best." We we'll make sure that uh, we have given everybody every opportunity to operate heavy equipment safely. Now, that just happened to be a forklift, but the same thing applies to cranes.
0: Yeah, that that actually makes a lot of sense. I'm a high school football official, and we watch videos every week of ourselves and of you know other crews who are out there and sort of see the most bizarre or the most odd plays that you won't see every week sort of the ones that you have to know without living through the experience. And certainly with crane safety, you don't want to live through the experience of worst-case scenario. You know, reading those or seeing testimonials towards those really would be a good start to someone who maybe isn't as experienced in uh, in the safety aspects. How do you go about delivering? Does the safety come with the purchases? Or how does one go about securing that training from the beginning?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, safety does not come with the purchase. That is something, that, just like a, a driver's license for your car or truck, it doesn't come with the equipment. It, it's something that you have to actually seek out. Best that bet if you go out and purchase a crane brand new today, regardless of how new it is, but if you can go purchase it today, two things that you want to do A, you want to seek out the best training you can find. B, you want to read the manual. The manual is going to give you information that even if you know how to run a crane, you can absolutely pick up information particular to that crane that you may not know. And there's many surprises like that in, in a manual. So uh, we uh, are advocates in reading the manual. if It's a mandate by... OSHA, by OSHA's language that you read and understand the manual so um, we're big advocates on that so as companies grow and they get to
0: a point or maybe they're already at the point where they can hire uh, a dedicated QAQC person and a, uh, a safety person how do they go about becoming qualified to be the ones that look at the cranes who inspect them on a daily weekly monthly yearly uh, basis and you know Make sure that the that the
1: equipment is where it should be for for use that day. Any a, a good safety person really should hook up with us because uh, that's our world. As far as uh, inspections are concerned, daily inspections are a mandate on on a crane. And I I wanted to cover that first, and I'll tell you why. One of my jobs here, and it's a pretty robust job um, is consulting. I serve as an expert witness in accident case. And I can't tell you what the percentage of times that daily inspections become an issue in a lawsuit, but the numbers did. And we encourage people to perform daily inspections. Now, there's a number of Formats that you can use. One uh, is using the operator's manual, if there is a daily inspection chart in there, and document it. And and there's an old saying in uh, in the legal end of, of this or any business, documentation beats conversation. In the event of an accident, if you have the documentation for daily inspections, then they've been done. If you don't have them, then it's assumed that they have not. Number two, and this is going to be a shameless plug, and I apologize up front, (laughs) we have developed a safety portal to where a person can do a daily inspection on their cell phone very, very easily. In its current, it includes the safety standards. It couldn't be any easier, and we offer that up for a subscription to make the job, number one, easier, and number two, more likely to get done. Now, as far as inspections beyond that, an annual inspection, I would uh, encourage a company and a safety person to farm out a annual inspection, get it done third-party. It's, it's our arm's length validation. It's true in any bismoles, uh, that to have a third party in their gives you another set of eyes that's always good and it gives you a little bit of comfort as far as are we doing the right thing is my my person doing the daily inspections is he performing them properly or is there anything that he could be missing as far as building that routine <clears throat> with the daily
0: crane inspections which is as you said so important to safety Walk us through some of the uh, the things to look at on a daily basis. You know what what needs an eyeball on it every every morning. What wears the quickest? That you know maybe it didn't look too bad yesterday, but one good day's usage it, it really could you know cross that line to where it needs to be replaced or repaired or something along that line. Give us an
1: idea of what you're looking for on a daily basis. Well, you want to look at moving parts. I think if you wanted a general one general category, okay. Of things to look at. Top of the list moving parts, bearings, pins. So, you know, starting at the um, the base of the crane, your your, uh, rotation bearing. Very simple uh, to inspect when you start the crane up. If it's a um, hydraulic crane, uh, you can pressure the boom down into the rest and watch that bearing on the turntable. See if it's moving. Now, if it's moving, you got a red flag up. You need to measure it because some manufacturers will allow some movements and some won't. And that's the only place you're going to get that is out of the operator's man. A good place to start. And the rest of the moving parts that you uh, may want to look at when you set your outriggers out, watch and see if they're um, H-frame outriggers, if they're down and outs. When they come out of the tube, See if there's movement when you set them up, because there's wear pads in there, and they do wear over time. Same thing with your boom. Once you set the crane up and you set it up level, raise the boom and drop the ball down behind the crane. Look to see if it's dropping down in the center of the crane. If it's not, you may have wear pads that have worn in the boom, uh, and the boom is uh, sliding off to one side, or the boom could be bent another place where you may raise red flags and you may want to look at more take a look at the um, hook and the bearing if the hook is mounted on a bearing give it a spin it should spin freely when there's no load on it and look at the hook itself and you know look on the bowl of the hook or the back of the hook for cracks run your hand around the inside of it and then snap the safety latch on the hook it should snap back into the point of the hook and make up.
0: How long does this uh, daily inspection typically take? About five to ten minutes. So it's not cumbersome at all on the work day. It's, it's it's something really simple and and straightforward that someone should do every day and do the same way every day. Absolutely. First thing you do every day. So Jay, these are really good prevention techniques that you've shared with us. And uh, we all know that accidents happen where you can prevent them. You want to. And the number one thing with that is we want to keep our workers safe and we want to stay out of situations
1: that may land uh, companies in a courtroom. I guess the, the first thing that that rings in my memory is an, an accident that involved a uh, crane operator who was running a rather large crane, 120 ton crane. And he got himself into a position where he overloaded the crane. When he overloaded the crane, he lost his overall ball and his load. He was fortunate that no one got hurt, but he, he could have killed somebody. Uh, that was an accident that was totally preventable. And through the investigation, it became obvious to me from my interview with him that he didn't know how to read a load chart. Now, he avoided obtaining a License a federal license to run the crane. For whatever reason, it was early on in the in the program, and I know people were scrambling to get certified. And he just he just didn't get in uh, and get certified. So he was totally unlicensed. License certificate isn't the actual cause of the accident, but his lack of knowledge that would have come up when he went to take the test for the certificate is the requirements for uh, federal licensing has a bunch of holes shot through it and exemptions. And I've had two lawsuits now to date that have uh, since closed where that license became bone of contention and the crane operator was working in a business that didn't require a license. However, the lawyers used the license as a best industry practice stating had the operator taken this license and had the um owner of the company mandated that they went for this license the accident uh, would not have happened and they and they prevailed on that so we get asked this question regularly I'm exempt from this license you know do I do I need to take it and our answer has been categorically especially with with you know these examples um don't split just, just go ahead and get the best license that's out there
0: and obviously we've been talking about cranes specifically but when it comes to you know forklifts and other lifting devices that you there at cranes 101 deal with on a on a regular basis a lot of these same rules still apply i don't want to assume i want to hear it from you the expert but uh is my assumption
1: online You are absolutely 100% correct, yes.
0: Well, hey, Jay, thanks for joining us today. This has been very informational. For anybody looking for more crane safety information, I I recommend you checking out Cranes 101's website. Uh, NPCA's website also has a lot of that information. And, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us and sharing your knowledge today. Thanks, Joe. I had a lot of fun. Let's take a quick break to hear about some NPCA programs that can help your facility operate at peak efficiency. When we come back, we're going to hear from Ron Nauman and George Driver to talk about safety strategies at precast facilities.
2: NPCA once again is offering a series of free webinars designed specifically for engineers, departments of transportation personnel, and others who specify construction projects. Hear from the industry's best and brightest minds on precast concrete applications and benefits and professional development hours while learning how Precast products can help you meet project goals quickly and efficiently. Sign up today at precast.org specifiers.
0: Your business is only as strong as the employees that make up your workforce. Building an engaged and knowledgeable team requires constant training and an emphasis on education. NPCA provides the most complete education program in the Precast concrete industry. With live webinars and extensive archive library and more, you'll find everything you need to keep your team on the cutting edge. Visit precast.org backslash education to learn more about the courses and resources available from NPCA.
2: Hey, good morning, George. Welcome and uh, thank you for joining me in our podcast here. Everything about uh, importance of uh, safety and lifting and safety around the plant. You um, had a fantastic safety record in the past when we were working together and uh, I always valued your input and knowledge. So I think a lot of our members uh, or listeners will be beneficial, uh, will be benefit from this one as well. So welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you, Ron. Hey, it's great to see you again. Yeah, great seeing you. I enjoyed working with you in the past as well. I mean, us safety guys, we couldn't go anywhere without upper support from the leadership team, and you were always there dead on, spot on. We believed in each other, I think, as I recall, and we accomplished some great things together. We went from a culture where we had continuous incidents and accidents and people were getting hurt on a pretty regular basis to meeting that zero-accident, zero-incident culture, and I I have fond memories of that period in my life, Ron. So thank you for your support back then.
2: Ah, oh, thank you, thank you. I learned a lot from you. And uh, I think there's there's one thing that we always uh, we're on the same page, a hundred percent where we said we want our employees to go home better than then when they arrive to work. So we want to make sure that everything is safe, from the little things of lifting correctly, like you know, bending your knees and that lifting out of the back, into the bigger things of lifting devices, using them correctly for, lifting the big, heavy precast elements that we were using.
3: Yeah, I remember we had a lot of risks. And it's easy to get blind to those risks. I remember a little short video. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was this little video that had people dressed in white and dressed in black. And they would say in the beginning, how many passes does the team in white make? And they passed the ball back and forth, back and forth, thinking the answer was something like 13 in the end. But then he says... You're correct, but did you see the moonwalking bear? And in the middle of that, there was a moonwalking bear that walked backwards all the way through the whole crowd of all the people passing the ball. And the point of that was you don't see what you're not looking for. And that was the same element in the world of the safety. I think that um, people just didn't see the risks. They didn't know the risk was there, or they weren't trained, or they weren't educated. And everyone always seemed to get hurt because they were not aware of the risks or how to identify them, or how to manage them. So that was something that we learned early on in my safety career, that if we were to teach people risk identification and how to manage it, that was 90% of it right there to begin with. You're right, lifting, there is a lot of risk, huge risk in lifting, especially in the precast industry, as I recall, because some of those concrete forms And some of those concrete formations that we used to lift back in that day were huge. Several tons. Several thousands of tons in some cases. And and if one of them were to fall and somebody be in that vicinity, it could easily become a fatality. So, yeah, I have uh, a little bit of a memory of the lifting back in uh, uh, Old Castle infrastructure and precast days. Um, We were blessed and fortunate that we didn't have any loss of life during my tenure. In fact, I don't even recall any um, life-changing incidents either. But we were very proactive, so that was a big difference, you know.
2: Absolutely, and and part of that part of that is because of the great safety culture that you uh, implemented. Because one of the things that you, what we're all always saying is safety is everybody is responsible for the safety of themselves and their co-workers and. By implementing the positive safety culture, you have other people watching out. It's not like that, oh, I'm trying to figure out if somebody does something wrong to get them in trouble. It's more like the helping attitude that, that you nurtured the culture and that, you know, you have a new employee coming and all the senior staff basically were extra careful and helping them and guiding them in the right direction, that they're not standing where an overhead crane all of a sudden swings a big element.
3: And, you know, as much as there are rules and regulations, those are not what's going to save people's lives. It, it's a culture. It's a, it's a way of life. It's people. Now, there, there is guidance. And what's nice to know is to train and educate people to take a personal responsibility, to do your own legwork and research. I don't know if you remember this or not, but we had a great thing going on. What we did was, because um, you have the OSHA 10 and 30-hour course, and it's online now, but we used to incentivize people to educate themselves, yeah. if you recall. We started a little program back in the day where if someone took the OSHA 10-hour course on their own time, brought the certificate, brought the receipt, we not only reimbursed them for the money that they spent out of pocket to take that course, but we also, for the 10-hour course, we gave them a $50 gift certificate, or if it was a 30-hour course, we gave them a $100 gift certificate. The way you would do that presentation during our safety trainings and toolbox talks that incentivized everybody to want to learn and grow. And then we also made it to where, look, if you want to become a supervisor, you have to have the OSHA 10-hour course. If you want to become a leader or a manager, you need to take the OSHA 30-hour course. And so we made it a part of our growth process. And then once everybody has ownership um, and safety, it's like I was telling Joe earlier in another conversation. On, it, it's it's a momentum. It's an inertia that once you get that motion going, it's, it's hard to stop it. Quite honestly, so we were strong proponent in in two elements in safety. If you remember, Ron, it was one the employee empowerment, getting everybody involved, and then understanding HOP or human occupational performance or hum, human organizational performance. In other words, we are fallible as human beings; we're gonna make mistakes. So if we take away the criminal aspect of it or the punishment, you know, when somebody got hurt, who's at fault? Leave that alone and say. Instead, okay, let's go and start, where, where did the day begin? Let's understand anything and everything and, and realize that it's a process that needs to be fixed. It's not a, uh, they were unsafe or they weren't paying attention or I told them or or that sort of blame and shame game. Because blame and shame takes you nowhere. Uh, it actually just creates fear. But when it comes to lifting, it, that is one huge element all in itself because there's so many things involved in the lifting equipment, the ring, the gear, the the cabling, uh, the hooks, the devices, the chains, the cable. I mean, there's just so many things involved in that. But if everybody is key to where to find what the requirements are to maintain it and keep it in safe operating condition, and they're empowered to do that on their own rather than to be told or to be asked, and they even do their own inspections and report back to senior management. I think that's where it makes the difference.
2: Yeah, I think you hit there two really uh, big nails on the head in that way. One is the, the initiative in the way you're not like, inspecting the lifting equipment and also empowering the employee to bring that forward. Because one of the things that we're always seeing, all of the lifting equipment is kind of expensive clutches and not necessarily the hooks. They are relatively in a, in a moderate price range, but when you're looking at a certain lifting clutches, they can get very expensive because you're expecting also a long-term use out of it. It is kind of pricey to change those out. However, there is no price on safety in that way and that having really an employee going through it and figuring out and inspecting them and taking a, a protocol that most of the manufacturers of those lifting devices and clutches actually have and implementing that in their culture of saying, okay, we're going to inspect that OSHA requires or OSHA states that you should do it every time before you lift, before you use it, basically look over. But then there's also an annual inspection where you can go, measure the thickness of your device, that there's no abrasion on it or that it is not bent or something. And if you bring that one to your supervisor that this one is actually not good, please let let us not use it anymore and change it. That's very important. And that safety, culture you get in there? That's perfect, yeah.
3: Spot on, Ron. And I'll tell you another thing, I don't know if you remember it or not, but we used to share a lot of best practices. I would go around to these facilities and I'd find people doing good things. And rather than highlight, and knock on the things that were going wrong, uh, I would find the things that they were doing right and share that. Because that's what people remember. People remember the information you share. So if you share bad news, people remember that. If you share good news, people remember that. But I do remember the first time I went to a location, I'm, I'm not sure if it was in California or Washington or Oregon, but it was out west. But they had a light mechanism on the lifting crane itself. It was an overhead crane system that was on a track and a rail. And a light shined down, it was a blue light around the entire perimeter of the devices that they were lifting. And it marked on the floor the safety hazard zone, the zone that you don't want, the boundary that you didn't want to cross. In other words, if it fell or something failed and it fell, then if you were outside of that zone, you were in a safe zone. And I thought that was one of those great best practices to share. And I think I tried to spend as much time sharing two things positive to one thing negative. I mean, we can easily find negative things. But if we turn it into a negative and leave it into a negative context, we're taking away from people. Um, you ever heard that saying? Someone who feels appreciated does more than those who do not. <laughs> so so keeping it a positive to, to what you said earlier was... My, like, number one goal, I had some things that I had must-dos every day. Must-do was to learn something. Must-do was to teach something to somebody. Must-do was to find somebody making a mistake and help them correct it in a good, positive way. And then the last one, probably the most important to me, was find someone doing something right and spend the time to thank them and highlight that. So it
2: goes a long way to empower people absolutely goes a long way and it motivates them to do even more and their co-workers see it right and then they get motivated on top of it sometimes it's just also this uh thinking outside of the box like you said with a light for example i had seen that in in a different precast plant where they changed on the big forklift instead of having the backup sound the beep 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 sound which you hear in every truck i have heard a lot of people get basically immune to that noise because they don't even listen to that anymore because every truck or the backup beep they changed that speaker and had a different kind of noise. that was more like a scratching noise, almost like gears grinding against each other because it's a complete different kind of noise and people go like, oh, what is that? And they look around and they say, oh, there's a forklift turning backwards, which with a regular beep, beep, beep. They would have not done that. So thinking outside of the box and coming up with ideas is really helpful as well.
3: And that's well said, you know, and if you add the two, you know, the audible with the visual, in other words, there's those lights to shine down in the danger zone or forklifts that can be fitted too. So you, you have the visual and the audio because we're all people of, what, what they say, there's three, three learning styles. There's the audio, there's the visual and the kinesthetic, you know, the hands-on, the touch me. But um, if we can incorporate all three of those mechanisms into anything and everything that we do, we don't leave anybody astray. I'm a, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I learn by doing. I got a touch and feel. So you might be an audio. You might listen well, you might even be a visual, but we all have this certain inherent strengths that we we fall to. But if we leave one of those out, we leave somebody out.
2: And and you want to also have the repetitiveness. You know, uh, a lot of times people think, okay, you do that. It's like the driver license test, right? You do the safety, so to say, um, how to drive a vehicle once and that's it. And then you do it for the next, uh, I don't know, you get your driver license with 16. Let's say you're going up to 86, right? So you have 70 years of no additional training, so to say. We don't want to have that happen on a on a on a, a planned level. We want to have people engaged in it, multiple safety meetings, trainings, and because technology is getting newer, and newer. If you compare it with cars, for example, right? There's now things in the car that haven't been that weren't there available 20 years ago, but we're expecting the people just to go with it. Instead of training people, and you get a little bit of a training when you buy it, but as a as a precast plant, I think it's very important that the management is uh, continuously training their employees, which most of them are doing, which is very great, and that's the one that also have a good safety record. Then,
3: absolutely. And the other thing about the training is, you know, not only incorporating those three elements, you know, the audio, the visual, the kinesthetic, but also keeping it fresh, keeping it fun, integrating the humor in it into it. If you have a practice session to follow the kinesthetic part, where people actually go out and practice in the field what you've learned in the classroom, that's kind of what locks it in. And then if you challenge others to pass that information on, because we we learn more when we teach, because you learn by doing. And and then when you have to teach it, you have to study it even a little bit further. So we used to have fun and competition with um, people giving toolbox talks on a weekly basis or even on a morning huddle, daily basis, that if you hosted a toolbox talk, there were incentives. And that's the other thing I want to talk a little bit about on safety front. Because, you know, we have to have the rules, we have to have the regulations, those, that's our guidance. But we also have to have that culture. We have to have people who feel empowered and people who have ownership at stake in the game. So incentives are big. If we incentivize people, to do the things that what we want them to do, they're going to do them. But we have to remember also there's two sides of behavior change because consequences change behavior. And I'm going to throw this acronym out there. I don't know if you remember me teaching this in one of my singers or not, but I used to say safety is a picnic with no F and U's. And what do I mean by that? That means picnic P I C N I C was an acronym. So you have to have positive immediate consequences, and then you have to have negative immediate consequences so if i say to you ron if you'll do this safety inspection this week not only will we make sure nobody gets hurt but i'm buying everybody lunch to get their inspection get done this week on friday so what you've got there is you've got two one you don't have a discipline side you don't have a negative consequence Plus, you got the positive positive consequence lunch right so I say saying like this, if I'm driving down the highway in the left lane and the speed limit's 70 miles an hour and everybody's doing 80, what's going to slow us down to do 70? Well, one, you'll see the blue lights, the blue lights, special side the road, getting a ticket. But as soon as you pass that, what do we do? Boom, back up to 50 or 70, 80, whatever. But if we immediately see that sign from Geico that says no traffic tickets, no traffic violations, say 50% on your car insurance, right? There's the positive. So you have to have both, positive, immediate, certain. And negative, immediate, certain consequences. And what I meant by the no F and U's was it's either immediate or it's future. Well, if it's going to happen down the road, what's the guarantee that it is going to happen, right? So that was the F. And then you have the certain, and you also have the uncertain. It's like you're in the grocery store, and Mama says to the little baby, if you keep touching that, I'm going to slap you. And you keep hearing that over and over again. If you keep touching that, I'm going to slap you. But she never slaps you, right? So there, there's nothing immediate. There's nothing certain. There's nothing certain. So consequences change behavior, but what I always like to say is let's be careful with these consequences. Let's make them match the crime. In other words, if somebody does make a mistake, then they become the owner of that program. So say, for example, there's a near-miss forklift operator almost runs over somebody. Well, guess who's in charge of forklift safety training from now on? That's right. So that's what we used to do, and I think it always was uh, beneficial to us. I mean, it helped us drive and get to that zero-accident incident culture. If you remember, we used to do employee surveys, and and I don't mean to change the subject, but this is relevant, but I remember the top three every time every year we did the employee surveys. Number one was always communication. In other words, people on the plant floor felt as if nobody's given us enough information. We don't really know what's going on. They don't know what the end goal and the game plan was. They didn't know what they were working towards, in other words. They'd say that openly, if you asked them. They said training. You know, they just put us out here, good luck. They don't give us any tools or any equipment or any training. We don't know what the expectations are. And the last one, but not least, probably the most important was recognition. Nobody cares about what I do, you know? So what I used to do was incorporate those three facets into the training. So we wanted real-time, up-to-date training that incorporated all of the learning, objectives audio visual kinesthetic you practice it we we made it fun we made it competitive so we're communicating with the people we were training them and then we had awards and recognition at the end for whoever received that information and did the best with it so I think there's so many things involved in growing and developing a great safety culture but if we look at it and we think about it on a human element, human nature side. It's actually quite easy. It's just a matter of making a great place to work. That's what we used to say. Let's make it a great place to work. And if we think of that in leadership and management, um, that's what we'll make. We accomplish what we set out to do.
2: Yeah, and you bring the nail on the uh, uh, you hit the nail on the head again with that one because what you're saying is you know make it a, cl- a great place to, to work and also have the leadership involvement. And that's one of the things that I always highly valued at you because you were at one point the, uh, the director of EHS and it didn't matter what time it was and whatever, you were out in the plant. If it was three o'clock in the morning where they started uh, the stripping process of the precast uh, panels or vaults and in, in that way, you were out there with them in order to see what is going on. So I think it's very important to have that involvement that you're not just hiding in an office somewhere, make PowerPoints and say people what to do. Because if you're out there, you're seeing it and you see the problems that they might be having. Because the problem is if people are out there and they're doing the same thing over and over and over, at one point you're ignoring certain things. But when you come uh, as a novice, so to say, you know, somebody that doesn't do the task, you might ask that question, why are you doing it this way? If you doing it a certain other way, it would be safer, maybe faster. And that can only be achieved with the right involvement in the buy-in. And that's very important that we have that from senior management, that everybody's involved. And being out there where it is, maybe cold in the winter, hot in the summer, inconvenient because it's 3 o'clock in the morning, but your workers are there. You want to be with them. And then they also take you serious because they see you're not too good for the job. You're going out with them and helping them and helping to make their life and their work better.
3: You know, what was funny, you bring that up too, Ron. I remember going back to whenever they told me so-and-so is the most unsafe person that we have out here. They would tell me that. They would tell on each other. Well, I would make it a point to go to so-and-so and and say and get to know them a little bit. I'd make a connection. I don't know if it was hunting, fishing or whatever it was or family or baseball, football, but we'd make some sort of a connection. I'd get to know them on a personal level, get to know them a little bit on their personal life. But I'd ask them, can you teach me how to do your job? Can you teach me how this works? I'd like to learn more. And you'd be surprised. Anybody and everybody would be more than willing to show you because they're demonstrating their knowledge. You know, it promotes their self-awareness and their self-worth. And so when I would get out there and make the mistakes, and I'd laugh at all, God, I'm just not as good as you. I'll never be as good as you. I'd just be honest with them. And I wouldn't. I wasn't telling a lie. I was telling the truth. And it made them feel good about their job. Then they opened up to me. At the same time, while I was doing the work with them, I could see and understand what they were up against in the process. And sometimes it was a process, well, not, I'm not, I'm going to say 99% of the time, it was the process and the procedure that set people up for failure, not the people. So when I would get out there and walk a mile in their shoes, it made it easy for me to come up with real-world solutions. And at the end, my goal and my job was, was to make it their idea, let them make the change, and then award and recognize them and share that as a best practice. Then it made them feel good. It made them feel valued. It made them feel worth. It made them feel like they were recognized. So going back to those three things, communication, training, and recognition, if you incorporated those elements into anything and everything, you know what I had, Ron? I don't know if you remember me saying this two years ago, but I had this uh, mindset when I went out on the plant floor that was TMI, and that was not too much information. But every interaction I had with the employees on the plant floor, it was my personal goal to either touch, move, or inspire that person before the end of that interaction. And if I didn't achieve that, then there was something wrong with me, not them. And, and by and by doing that and empowering them and making them feel good about their job, you know, you always had. The red carpet rolled out. It wasn't like, oh my God, the safety man. It was here is like, wow, George is dear. Let's share with him our problems that we're having because he finds a way to take it back to leadership and management, get us what we need to get it fixed. I always love being that that link between upper management and the people on the plant floor because that's a gap that's hard to close. Because the senior management always say, well, they never do this, or I trained them to do that, or. They're always doing a lot. And and on the other end of the spectrum, it was like they never give us what we need. They don't tell us what we're supposed to do. So, you know, to close and bridge that gap was um, an honor and a privilege for me because I think that's where the rubber met the road. Because once you had understanding on both sides of the spectrum, the low end and the high end, it was easy to meet in the middle and to get things done. Safety is, uh, is, uh, is a lot more than inspections, rules, and regulations. It's, it's a way of life, and it's got to come from the heart as well as the mind. And I think if people get that simple concept and have fun with it, don't make it hard or laborious, uh, but have fun with it and grow and learn together, what a world, world it would be in our in the in the industries throughout uh, the world. That's just my personal my personal take on it. So.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I hope just with that uh, with that little podcast that we're doing, you know, that we inspire some people, some listeners that are saying, oh, there are some great ideas, and George hits the, the home run, so to say, you know, how do we get the leadership involvement and have a positive attitude out in the plant with our employees, how we did, and uh, I hope it inspires them and helps them to guide their own direction, because everybody has their own way of doing things. I think it's going to be... Yeah, it has to be a success because safety is that important, right? We have to make it a su- success, and uh, I hope this podcast gives the people some ideas to help to guide them in the, in the direction.
3: I'd like to share a quick story with you, on something that resonated with me, um, and I'll never forget. So I'll leave the names out. So, so a guy is running across the plant floor. He steps on a pencil. Of course, it rolls, and his fluid twists over, And he sprains his ankle to where it's it's a lost time accident. He's on crutches. He has to spend a few days at home. Well, the company policy was was no lost time accidents, right? We're not going to have any more lost time accidents, quote unquote. So something went wrong. There was a failure here that this person twisted his ankle. So this employee that twisted his ankle was a long-term tenured employee, close to 30 years, probably more knowledge about the plant than anyone else, seeing leaders and managers come and go. So they have a conference call at every lost time accident. So in the conference call, senior management, nowhere near the location, what happened? While well, he was running across the plant floor and he stepped on a pencil, he twisted an ankle. Well, why was he running? Don't we have a no running policy? Well, yes we do. And why was there a pencil on the floor? There shouldn't have been a pencil on the floor, it's a workspace. Let's keep the pencils in the office. So the fix was take the pencils out and discipline the employee for running. That was the fix. So I'm going to give him a name. I'm going to call him Joe just because Joe's on a call. Joe, why were you running? I was going to get a fire extinguisher. Why were you going to get a fire extinguisher? Well, the machine was about to catch on fire again. Again? Yeah, it catches on fire maybe once or twice a week. What? So you were running there to get a fire extinguisher to come back to put the machine out that's going to catch on fire. That's a reason to run, so I need to know more. Why is it catching on fire? Well, there's so much friction that we have to spray it the, with, with, with a lubricant. But after a while, the friction still builds up with the parts sliding through the machine that the lubricant that we spray catches on fire and ignites. So we have to clean it all off and start all over again. Otherwise, it backs up the whole line and the whole process, and we don't want it to stop. I don't, I don't understand. Why is this? friction a problem? Well, it never used to be. Well, what changed? Well, we used to make the part certain dimensions, but the customer wanted it, you know, a quarter of an inch bigger. So we changed the setup or make it a little bit bigger, but we didn't have enough money to make any change in the dies or the other setup features. So we just make it work. And here's what I want to leave the story with this. Senior, tenured employee, this whispering in my ear that I'm going to quit or I'm going to find another because they treated me poorly. I worked my butt off for this company for 30 years, and now that I hurt myself trying to advance the company's cause, they're going to discipline me? And how does that affect the other employees that everybody looks up to this guy, right? You, you have just created utter world of chaos in that work environment. So what we need to do is leave the people and the human element out I'm stressing that as much as I possibly can and look at the process, look at the procedure and figure out what we as leaders and managers can put that burden on our shoulders and help our people to grow and to have a great place to work. So I I like to end that story with that or I like to end with that story because, you know, we are the ones that are going to make or break our, our system and our program. As long as we know and understand that there's a reason why everybody does what they do and we understand that reason, if we listen to understand rather than listen to respond, we can take in a lot of good information and help our people to be not only safe, but successful. I think that's what we all want in life. We want to have a profitable business. We want to be able to compete in the world marketplace. And we can do that together as long as we help one another and stop the blame and the shame. And I think we've come a long way in that era, but I think there's still a little bit more work to do because we're quick to judge.
2: Yep, we're humans, right? That's the thing, so we all, we're human, it's a human element in that way, but I think we all have to work on ourselves in that way and have like the, the five why root cause analysis, so to say, and then you demonstrate it really nicely, you go why, 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 right? drill deeper into the source of the problem. And, uh, that is actually, that will help. Not only the company it will help you to be a better person in your job, and it will help the other person to, uh, make a safer workplace and to keep everybody safe. Fantastic. That was a good story. I like that one. I think, yeah, I think we're pretty much at the, the end of our time here. I, uh, wanted to really thank you for spending the, the morning here with me at the, the podcast and I hope that our podcast has a positive impact on the safety on other locations as well. Like you had such a positive impact on all of the locations that were under you.
3: Well, I always had two rules, Ron. Rule number one is we're going to have fun. And rule number two is always refer back to rule number one.
2: That's, yep. So and I, I have to think, I guess it helps when your, your EHS director can play the guitar and sing. That will always be good for the, for the plants. <laughs> that was some fun times. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ron Hey,
0: That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it and can take some ideas from it back to your place of work. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating to help us reach more people both inside and outside of our industry. See you next time on Breaking the Mold.